Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Children, as we hear the word discipline, maybe you think of some of the things your parents have told you about discipline. Discipline teaches us that disobeying hurts. And there would be no need for discipline if there was nothing that caused us harm in this life. The sad fact of the matter is that ever since the fall into sin, there are people, animals, diseases, and things that can harm us. And since we also are conceived and born in sin with the inclination to rebel against the good order that the Lord has established, we too can easily cause harm to others or even to ourselves. The Ten Commandments forbid us from doing all those things that might harm others or harm ourselves. In fact, they instead show us the way of life and, and love. So when we disobey God's commandments, we experience misery. And the goal of discipline is to lead us into obedience to God's will, where there is life and where there is love. The goal of discipline is not to cause harm, but rather to save us from the harm that is caused from sin, sinful people living in a fallen world. And since the reproof and admonitions and punishments that often accompany discipline uh, often cause sorrow and pain at the time, no one likes it when the discipline of parents or others causes discomfort, we often miss the value of discipline, not only in our homes, but also in our church. And thankfully, the Lord in his word explains what the Lord is doing through discipline. And as we look at Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 13, it's good to have that open in front of you as well this afternoon. We receive a lot of instruction concerning discipline in the analogy of a competition or a race that we are participating. You can see the idea of, of running and, and running with endurance and, and competing. And speaking of, of being set in a difficult course and needing to get to the end. Life is compared to a race or a difficult course. And so this analogy also helps us to distinguish between tests or trials that the Lord in his wisdom sets in our path. That's the, the course of our life. And then the correction that the Lord gives as he tries to, to keep us on getting to the finish line. So he says, get rid of the sin that entangles, and that causes you to, to stumble and fall. And although the hand of God is behind both the course that we have to run, the challenges of the course, and his hand is behind the correcting punishments, we also see that not every hardship is a punishment of sin that we are committing, which we need to repent. At the same time, both the difficulty of the course and the discipline are meant to shape us, to prepare us for eternal fellowship with God. God tests us with trials to purify and increase our faith and trust in him, and he disciplines us with chastisements and exhortations so that we continue to respond to his will and his word in a holy and pure manner. 
This afternoon, I preach you the gospel of the third mark of the true church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom key of discipline under the theme, God disciplines those whom he loves. And you can see it was taken from Hebrews chapter 12. And in this, we see that God's discipline is parental, it's painful, and it's productive. Hebrews shows that the Lord understands that life can cause a weariness. We can grow weary of the race that is set before us. That's because life after the fall into sin is, is always more difficult because of the fallenness of creation. And when we grow weary, we are much more likely to sin against the God who set us on this course. We tend to be less diligent in removing the sin that clings so closely to us like we're exhorted to do in verse one. Or verse three, we tend to feel, or we tend to, we're tempted to stop faint-hearted. We make the challenges in verse four, it talks about making the challenges worse than, than they are, claiming that we've had a, enough long before we've resisted to the point of shedding our blood. We begin to question the power of Jesus Christ and his complete victory over his hostile enemies. And we're tempted to separate our lives from the founder and the perfecter of our faith who graciously set us on this course on our way to that surpassing greatness of the joy that he has obtained. He was looking at, as we see in verse, in verse 12. It's verse two. Hebrews 12, verses five to 11 does not give us a clear picture concerning the shape or the scope of God's discipline that the author had in his mind. As he's addressing the believers there in this letter of Hebrews, he's speaking of some sort of discipline. We don't know if it's the, what he was talking about, the exhortation they had received in Hebrews 10, or if it was some kind of hardship they faced as a result of their sinful choices, but they were to understand that God himself was behind the corrective instruction they were receiving. When verse seven states, it is for discipline that you have to endure, it makes it clear that the, this discipline that they're enduring is different than what our Lord Jesus had to endure as he made his way to the cross. It talks about the shame and the humility that he endured. Christ endured hostility in order to take our curse and our punishment upon his own innocent shoulders while the believers were enduring for discipline to bring them to holiness on the race set out for them. We never need to be punished for our sins. Christ was punished for our sins. However, verse seven says, we still have to endure for discipline. We have to endure for being refined. We have to endure so that we might be brought in to the holiness of God. And God may use exhortations and punishment, or and he might use exhortations and painful experiences in order that we might fully experience his love 
that he showed to us in Jesus Christ. So God sees believers in their struggle against sins. He sees them not as those who need to get into his love, but he sees us in these struggles as his children in his love, in the work of Jesus Christ. Sort of like parents who, who look upon the, the children in, the, in their families and, and they see them growing and developing. See them facing difficult challenges in their lives. See them making wrong choices that would cause more harm. You see in our text, there's an assumption that parents will discipline their children. That's partly due to the Roman context where you can read about it in the history books. The, the Roman father had the right to allow his children to live or to die. He would shape them according to his own pleasure. He had absolute authority over his children. At the same time as Paul is, is writing, he's writing to, to parents, to families, who know it's unavoidable to teach the next generation. Every child learns from those who are older than them. Whether it's an individual raising a child or a community who is responsible for the shaping of the next generation, it's impossible to have a society without discipline. The Bible teaches us as well that the parents must discipline their children. You read about that in Proverbs several times, chapter 13 and chapter 19, chapter 23. So this comparison to parents disciplining their children is, is a comparison that would be familiar to the Hebrews in the Old Testament, to the Romans in the New Testament, and certainly today as well, where we live in families, we live in community. The ordained office bearers, the church, are also commanded by Jesus Christ to discipline them. And we, we confess that together in answer 85, that to people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine and life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. So the words of our text help us to understand that when we are called upon to discipline a child, or when we are called upon to, to mutually exhort another member of the congregation, or when we are called upon as office bearers to discipline and exhort and even excommunicate those who persist in their sins, we need to have the picture of a father interacting with his children, a parent inter interacting with his child. The spiritual leaders in the church have the task of administering God's discipline in a way that reflects our heavenly Father's love and care. The point that Hebrews is making for the church is that the very fact that you are being disciplined, whether you are in your home or as a member of the church, the very fact that you are being disciplined shows that you are his children. No parent or office bearer has the right to discipline those who belong to other parents or who are not members of the flock of God entrusted to them or who used to be but have now sinfully disowned their family or withdrawn from the supervision that God ordained. 
However, that also means that if you are not being disciplined by God, whether that's through your Christian parents or office bearers in the church, you are no longer part of the family of God. That's why withdrawing from Christ's church, withdrawing from the care and the supervision of office bearers is such a reason for intense sorrow. You're not being disciplined. You're not a part of the family of God. And anyone can see that it is much better to be loved by God the Father as part of his family and be disciplined than it is to be ignored by your creator, left on your own to figure it out. And this helps us to, to take the discipline that God brings into our lives in a very humble and a gentle and a, and a godly and a thankful way. For God's discipline is painful. By quoting Proverbs chapter three, verses 11 to 12, in Hebrews 12, verses five to six, the author to the Hebrews helps us to think about our tendency to react poorly to corrective punishments. Teenagers, you can think about sometimes how you've reacted to discipline in your home. Children sometimes as well, and all of us, we react, often we react poorly to corrective punishments. And the problem is that in the, the moment of being disciplined, it all seems very unpleasant because the Lord needs to use pain to make us join with him in hating sin. Discipline needs to be painful to us in some way because it is meant to stop us from doing the sinful things that our sinful human nature is actually desiring to do. Discipline makes an association between the wrong thing that we are doing and negative or painful consequences. God's discipline is meant to correct us. So he makes it more difficult for us to continue to do sinful things, even the things that we thought were a good idea. The punishment, whether it's standing in a corner being grounded, extra chores, being deprived of a privilege that is reserved for God's children who want to walk in, in fellowship. The discipline causes us sorrow. We have a, a sense of loss of some of the privileges God has given to us. And so that as we look to our text, we see that the Holy Spirit gives two reminders in our text. You can see that in, in verse five, the first one. The Lord says, don't treat the discipline of the Lord lightly. That means don't despise it. Don't ignore it. Don't try to undermine discipline by pointing out the weaknesses in those whom God has sent to administer it. When people harden in sin, we, we often do that, don't we? We get disciplined in our sin and we start lashing out to our parents, well, they don't know anything, or to our office bearers, they don't understand. The Lord says, don't treat those words lightly. Don't add rebellion to the sin you're being disciplined to. Remember, the discipline is painful for a reason. Receive it with humility. Give great weight to the Lord's work. 
also through discipline. Then the second exhortation in verse five is to not be weary when we get reproved by the Lord. Discipline, reproof by its very nature, it makes us aware of sins and weaknesses that are entangling us. So again, it's, it's like pointing out here, you're sinning against the Lord. And we see that from the discipline and we say, yeah, I, I am sinning. It makes you feel weary. Can I never do what the Lord wants? The law of God shines on our lives. It exposes all that unholiness that we often try to suppress in our unrighteousness. That can be very discouraging. It can be very wearisome. So the Lord tells us, don't be weary when reproved by the Lord. His love, he's showing his love to you as a father to his child. And then we're able to understand the value of the sorrow and, and pain that discipline can bring to us. The Lord does this because he loves us. He shows us our need for his son, Jesus Christ, every time those sins are pointed out. The passage of Hebrews reminds us that the painfulness, the negative consequences that we might experience in our own lives because of discipline, those things are good. Hebrews 12 tells us those things are, are necessary for our training and improvement and even healing. And the point is that compared to the suffering and pain that is experienced by those who are not corrected and reproved, the momentary pain of discipline at the hands of a loving father is truly a blessing. And you can ask yourself that question. Would I rather escape this negative consequence, this discipline now, while there's still time to repent and return to the open arms of my heavenly father? Or would I rather enjoy the Lord in his holiness and his glory for all eternity? Then we see that it actually makes us gravitate toward discipline. We see that as God's children, we, we actually pray to him, Lord, discipline me, chasten me. Instruct me. When we realize that, as the passage also says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we really learn to accept the, the value of the corrective chastening or the discipline and discipline of the Lord. It's like we sang in Psalm 39. Rather than see the suffering and and the pain of discipline as evidence that God is not with us. We see it as evidence that he is with us. He loves us. He's accompanying us in our struggles against sin. His discipline has a purpose. It's productive. So returning to the competition analogy again, in which we, we find all this instruction about discipline, the Holy Spirit reminds us that without Pain, when you train, there's no gain. The gain of those who have been trained by the pain of discipline 
is found in verse 11. The peaceful fruit of righteousness or the harvest of righteousness and peace. God's discipline produces righteousness in our lives. It brings us closer to him in his holiness. It brings us back to his commandments, which are the manual for peaceful living with God and with our neighbor. The closer that we are walking in God's, to God's will, the richer our fellowship with him will be. And the purpose of discipline, that, that the goal of his love is that we may increase in enjoying the fellowship with God that we have in Christ. We are in that competitive struggle, the analogy of Hebrews 12 of, of life, the competitive struggle that God in his wisdom has set before us. And as we're struggling against all the, the sins and weaknesses that make it difficult for us to perform well, our Heavenly Father reaches down into our lives, into the lives of his dear children to help us on the way with his discipline. When we see that God has a purpose in our lives with the, the plague and the persecution he, he sends, whether it's testing or punishments to teach us, it always focuses our attention back on God. We lift our eyes up from our own struggles and our own weakness and our own as sins that are exposed. And where do we look? We look to the Lord, don't we? We lift our eyes to him. We think about the work of Jesus Christ. We think about the new life that he has obtained for us by his Holy Spirit. We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for again showing us who he is and his love. It's the key thing to remember about the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 10 says it very clearly. He disciplines us for our good. And then it talks about how anyone who, who looks back on the discipline that they experienced, they always look back with thankfulness that they were disciplined. Now I can address all the parents and the adults here in the congregation, some of the older teenagers, when, when you move out of the house and you look back, don't you say, I'm so thankful that my parents corrected me and disciplined me. You look back at that not with, with anger, but like our text says, you look back with respect to those who disciplined you. And if we feel respect for our earthly parents who revealed their desire for our improvement, even though it was for, for a short time, and, and even though it was often done in so much weakness. And we look back and we say that was, wasn't done right, but, but they, they were showing their love for me. And we respect our parents for, for doing that in our, in our lives. How much more respect should we have for God's discipline? which leads us to eternal life in Jesus Christ. You'll note in verse nine, if you look at verse nine, you, you can see that the, the writer to the Hebrews moves from respecting our parents 
to being subject to our Heavenly Father. We look back, we respect our parents for what they did. But when we see the, the perfect discipline of our, our Heavenly Father, we don't just respect Him, but we, we, we receive it with such joy, we subject ourselves to His guidance even more. Subjecting ourselves to, to the Heavenly Father is the highest form of respect. And really, it's the only fitting response to the discipline of the Father of Spirits who is able to make us truly alive. And the title, Father of Spirits, in, in verse 9, it's a very unique title. It, it highlights the distinction between our earthly fathers and our spiritual Father who is in heaven. When we subject ourselves to our heavenly Father, we have the great benefit we may share in his holiness. God's discipline keeps us in that holiness that he has obtained for us by his grace. And that's why the Holy Spirit in our text, he tells us, lift up your, your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet when you are disciplined. And however, one may interpret exactly what he is saying, what that means. One thing is very certain. It is a call to be corrected by the discipline that you are receiving so that you change your pattern of life to bring it back in line with God's will. Not only don't despise that discipline, don't make light of it, but apply it to your life. Lift up your drooping hands. Move forward on the course that God has set you on, no longer paralyzed like a lame person, nor getting worse in our lameness, but now healed, able to walk. For God's discipline is healing. It's productive. The four major fruits that God's discipline could produce are found in the final verses of our text. You can see it starting in verse 14. God's discipline, God uses this discipline so that his children, we see that in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. Then it goes on to talk about, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, another fruit, a benefit. And then it leads us to the next one. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and then again, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And putting it all together, we, we see some of the fruits of righteousness that discipline brings into our lives. It, it produces peace. It produces holiness while keeping away those sins of rejecting God's grace and the sin of bitterness and the sin of immorality and the sin of worldliness. When we look at, at hardships with, with bitterness in our hearts, that bitterness spreads to, to others. It's like a poison that causes unrest. It spreads, it defiles many. Verse 17 reminds us that the complete disregard for the promises that we made to others in sexual 
immorality, that's how we show disregard for those promises, or the disregard for the promises that God has made to us, like Esau did in his worldliness, it can lead to the point of no return. Look at verse 17. Think about Esau. Think about how continuing in his sin, continuing in a rejection of who God was and a rejection of his love, look where it led him. So the Lord tells us the greatest danger that any person can face in the course, the race that is set before us is to stop believing in him. Stop receiving his love as he shows it to you in Jesus Christ. The greatest danger is to stop being different from the world. Instead, joining in with worldly thinking, joining in and preferring our sin over God's holiness given to us as a gift in Christ. So we go home. Once again, we, we fail. Maybe as a child, we don't obey. Teenager, we really don't want to obey. and It's time to be disciplined. Maybe a parent just says, you need to sit down or I want you to think about what you're doing or maybe you shouldn't go there because of how you responded last time. In a visit, possibly could happen that we share some of the ways we reacted to the ways other people talk to us in our, in our, in our lives. We feel justified because of what they said and, and they exhort us for perhaps pride in our own heart. We think about Hebrews 12. That's God showing his love for us. That's God bringing us back to to his holiness, to, to his paths. That's the Lord bringing our minds back to, to Jesus Christ who died on a cross to pay for those sins. That's God bringing our hearts back to, to think about our neighbor's well-being. And rather than becoming angry or cold or standoffish or weary when we're disciplined by our parents or office bearers or, or spiritual leaders in our lives, Maybe we should thank these servants of God for bringing God's love to our lives in such a clear and personal way, for saving our lives from punishment and, and curse that Christ bore for all who believe in him. And you can see why discipline is a mark of the true church of Jesus Christ. You can see why our, our Lord Jesus called Church discipline, one of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We praise God for his grace, for his instruction in his word. We praise God for correcting us with unpleasant hardships, for exhorting us through spiritual leaders he's placed in authority over us, for our good, for the glory of his name. And isn't that what we long for? Isn't that why we're, we're here on this earth? To glorify him. May, he, may we receive his gracious discipline with joy. May we rejoice in the life and the love that we may have in Jesus Christ. For he employs the keys of the kingdom to open his kingdom for everyone who repents of his sins, accepts the promise 
of the gospel. We live in this reality by the grace of God. Amen.